All right. <clears throat> if you haven't been here for the last uh, two, three weeks, we've been kind of going through John, which is not 100% normal for me to kind of <laughs> stay on pace and not like randomly jump off. Um, and I actually only have, I've got several verses, but I really only have one verse from John here that I want to focus on. And it's John 18, 40. And this comes on the tail end of everything that we've been talking about the last two weeks. And I'll, for time's sake, I'll try to briefly kind of catch you guys up if you haven't. Most of you guys know a lot of these stories, but it was, we talked about two weeks ago where um, the, the soldiers came to get Jesus and he asked who they were looking for and they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And when he said, I am, the power of him just saying that, they fell back. Um, and we discovered what real power was. We talked about um, Peter pulling the sword out and cutting the soldier's ear off. Uh, not only was Jesus demonstrating to us, but he was demonstrating to Peter what his kingdom looked like. It wasn't, it wasn't coming with power and a sword. It was coming with healing and peace. It was coming from Jesus, not a, not a, some kind of geo, geopolitical takeover to, uh, to take over Rome or to demolish that. There was a bigger kingdom happening. There was something happening. Um, and he was demonstrating that to us, that his kingdom looked differently and that this had to happen so that the, the, new, uh, the new covenant and the new uh, the kingdom could come in. Um, then we talked about last week that what that kingdom was, all the way back from Daniel, what that kingdom looked like. Uh, it was a kingdom greater than any other kingdom. Uh, when, when Daniel was, was interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he was talking about all those different kingdoms in there, and we're going to touch on that again today. Um, that that when, when, he was, when Jesus was on a trial, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. I don't, we don't fight. My soldiers don't fight as if my kingdom is from this world because it's not. My kingdom is not of this world, is what he said. And so he was making a reference all the way back from Daniel that this was the kingdom that was going to be greater than all the other kingdoms before him and any other kingdom after, for that matter. Uh, and so from that place, we get to John 18, 40. Uh, and basically, this is... Uh, it, it's funny because John doesn't spend a lot of time on this, but he does mention uh, Barabbas. And every time I... <laughs> I apologize, but don't apologize. But every time I see Barabbas, I think of Passion of the Christ. Have you ever seen Passion of the Christ? When they go, ba-da-ba. That's what, every time I see his name, that's what I think about, ba-da-ba. Because they were shouting him, that's, that's who they wanted. when they were saying, do you want uh, Yeshua or ba-da-ba? And they said, ba-da-ba. So forgive me if I say that every time I see it. They shouted back, no, not him. Give us ba-da-ba. Uh, now, bear, bear, <laughs> ba-da-ba. I can't even say his name normally now. <laughs> ba-da-ba had taken part in an uprising. Now, we talked about, uh, Lydia actually brought that up last week, which was interesting. He had actually been part of a rebellion and uprising, uh, which is interesting in the context of everything we've been talking about. But uh, they were given a choice to release one of the two prisoners, either Jesus or Baraba. And they chose Barabbas. (laughs) I'm working, I'm trying. Uh, But if you actually look at at the name Barabbas, um, the name in uh, Aramaic actually means son of the father, Bar Abba. Abba is father, Bar son, son of the father. And so Barabbas' name literally means son of the father. Now, <clears throat> there's an interesting uh, contrast between Barabbas' name and what Jesus called himself. Now, if you see throughout Scripture, Jesus was called many things, right? Jesus was called the Christ or the Messiah. He was called other things. But what did Jesus refer to himself as? Son of man. Isn't that interesting? Here we have Barabbas. Is, his name literally means son of the father. And we have Jesus, and it, he, he calls himself the son of man. Now, there's lots of implication all the way from the Old Testament and Genesis to this. But just those two things contrasting there give us a really, I mean, it gives the whole gospel right in front of us as Jesus is put on trial. 
It's saying, look, <clears throat> there's, about to be, there's about to be something incredible happening here. So the phrase actually, son of man, Jesus isn't the, the first time we, we see this is not just when Jesus says it. He comes all the way from Daniel 2. It's funny, we keep ending up back in Daniel. It comes from a prophetic dream in Daniel 7. And in that dream, uh, there's four beasts from the sea. The sea kind of represents the human race there. And it goes back to what we talked about last week uh, of those kingdoms, Babylon, the Medes and Persians, Rome. And he's, this, this dream that Daniel has, and I don't, we don't need to go through the whole dream necessarily, but he has this dream about all these different beasts. And these beasts represent each of those kingdoms in one way or another. Um, and God is showing Daniel how men can basically act like beasts and bring on hate and destruction. And that's what happens in a lot of these kingdoms is they destroy things and they take over things. And there's this, this human version of a kingdom that, you know, God's kingdom looks so much differently than he is prophetically. He's giving Daniel a dream to show him what these kingdoms are going to look like in the future. Um, and if we go all the way back to the beginning, God creates basically, uh, not basically, literally creates beasts and humans, but he gives humans his image, right? He, he breathes his life into us, and he gives us an image and gives us dominion over the beast. And we're supposed to rule over the earth on his behalf, basically be ambassadors for Christ or for God even back then. Um, but obviously you guys know that, that Adam and Eve was deceived by a beast uh, that convinced them that they could rule on earth on their own, literally separate, separated from God, and they fall, they fall for it, literally. They fall. Um, they fall for this thinking that they are separated from God even though they aren't. And they fall for this idea that they can rule separately from God and you can't. So at that point, and I'm kind of rushing through this to get to the point that I want to get to. At that point, God and human relationship is broken. But God makes a promise that one day someone will come that will, give, <clears throat> that will not give in to the beast. In fact, he'll strike the beast while being struck by it. And so there's this promise that all the way from Genesis that says, this is a, even though this is what's happened right now, that this relationship has been broken, there is going to be one that's going to come that's going to restore this relationship. And not only that, the, the beast will be overcome at that point, even though the beast will be striking. Uh, the, the beast will be stricken as well. So then from there, like I said, I'm kind of going fast. Most of you guys know a lot of this stuff. So we see Cain that comes, and God basically and tells him the same thing, that he could rule over the beast as well when he tells him that uh, sin is crouching at your door, but you need to overcome it. So what he's saying, look, there is something that is that, that, that you can either decide to allow to rule over you or that you can rule over it. And he's saying, look, there's going to be a, a beast here, but you can rule over this beast. Obviously, he doesn't. <laughs> uh, Cain gets ruled by the beast and kills. And from that place, beast after beast comes after him, right? We have these kingdoms that come after him that are broken, that are man's kingdoms, that, that are less than, that are not perfect. And so we have all these things after Cain, all these different kingdoms, all these different beasts that just from, from Babylon to, to the Medes and Persians to Rome, all these different things that come up that are trying to rule and reign on earth, essentially. And so... Uh, all these rise and fall, they're all claiming the throne. Um, but in Daniel's dream, he sees the Son of Man riding on a cloud and sitting down on the throne, ruling alongside God. So he sees all these things right in front of him, and he's really distressed about it. And I can imagine if you're seeing things in a dream that are that powerful and are in, in the future, and in, that, that it really affects you pretty dramatically. So he's very stressed about this, and he's going through all these different things. But what he's seeing is, and the thing that really brings it all together is that he sees, and it's the first time that, that term son of man, we see that. It's the son of man that he sees riding on the clouds that comes, that establishes this new kingdom, that sits at, sits at the right hand of God, that establishes the, the, ru, the true and right throne um, as, the, as the, the rightful uh, 
the rightful king of the kingdom. All right, so we wait. Fast forward again. We wait through the whole Old Testament. We're looking for the Son of Man. The whole book of Malachi is telling everybody to hang on. This this is going to happen. This is coming. Um, And then all of a sudden he shows up. And what happens when Jesus shows up? He's tempted by the beast terms. He, he, tries to, uh, he tries to put all these different things about ruling the earth. You know, when he, Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, Jesus doesn't fall for it. He's the first one that comes and says, you know, I don't need to go on your terms. I can overcome you. So he doesn't have to go by the beast rules. And so here's where I want to hang out a little bit. How did Jesus rule over the beast? How, we, how do we see all these other times when um, all, the, all the evil and selfishness and all these different things that happened, uh, everyone fell for it all the way back from, from Cain. How does Jesus rule over the beast? The answer is he gives up his life. He does it in, in the exact opposite way you would think a king would rule over is he sacrifices himself for his kingdom. He doesn't come with a sword, physically sword, and come and destroy his enemy. He puts the sword in its place and uses a different type of sword, which is a spiritual sword that we talked about two weeks ago, which is the word of God. When he speaks, when we talk about this double-edged sword that comes out of the mouth of God, it's, it carries so much more power than a physical sword could carry. It's evident when he talks about, and I know I'm, I'm being a little re- repetitive from the last two weeks, but he continually talks about these 12 legions of angels to defend him. He talks about all this power that he has. When Jesus comes as a meek individual, he's not weak. Meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. So when Jesus comes as a meek leader and the rightful king of the kingdom, what does a rightful king need to do to be a king? Nothing. It's in his blood, right? You you don't have to prove that you're a king when you are a king. You are. (laughs) This is is a great transaction that's happening right in front of them when they have Baraba and Yeshua right in front of them. You You see this kingdom that's about to crush all the other kingdoms right in front of you. They should have seen this in its time. Jesus says, at his crucifixion, from this moment you will see the Son of Man sitting at God's right hand and coming on the clouds, just like Daniel's dream in 7.13. And in Daniel 7.13, it says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one, like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, talking about God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion and everlasting dominion will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's all the way back from Daniel. Then when Jesus does this, that was the the shadow, and Jesus was the substance. He was the one that actually made this stuff happen. When many people look at the cross, you you think of uh, a torture device or something that brings death, but Jesus saw it as his throne. Jesus saw it in the spirit as something that was going to change the world forever, and it did. He saw something that was horrible and horrific, but he saw something that was going to reconcile us to God. It was God himself saying, I'm going to take me, and I'm going to put it in, in place of basically our end of the bargain, and I'm going to make this happen. This is, this is my will from the beginning of time for, for this to happen, and this is going to happen. Jesus let Evel... Evel can't speak. Jesus let evil do its worst on the cross, and he overcame it with his divine life and love. Jesus completely overcame the beast. So it leads us to our next question. How do we overcome this beast, right? 
Ultimately, we die, spiritually we die, and are resurrected in a new life, just like Jesus was. We receive his life, we put away our old life, and we receive new life in him. The Bible tells us when we literally, the one thing we have to do is believe. When they're asked, how do we inherit this kingdom of God? He says, he says what works do we need to do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus' reply is, the work singular you need to do is believe on me. That's the one thing that we do to receive this new life. There's nothing that we can do on our own to do it. There's no merit that we could get. I hate when people kind of come down on grace as though it winks at sin. Grace doesn't wink at sin. It absolutely crushes sin. (laughs) Grace is not passive. It's not apathetic. Grace is active, and it's moving, and it's changing. The love that, that, even when, when we were in worship, when I was hearing this from the Lord, the love that Christ demonstrated on the cross should be, and I think, I think, Paul and John and all the writers uh, in the Bible would agree that the cross was not a sign of hate or anger. You know, we talk about God's wrath being poured out on on Jesus. It's not his wrath against you. He doesn't hate you. Why would he do it, right? But for some reason, that was always in the back of my head that God was just angry at me and Jesus kind of got in the the way. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't, Don't smite them, mighty smiter. It was God's heart to do this. God's anger was, was, was poured out because of the separation that, that was between us. That was what God was angry about. Why would he go through all the trouble of doing this if it was just because he was angry at us? No more than he was angry at Christ. Do you think he was angry at Jesus? No. As he is, so are we. Where? In this world. If, he's not, if he wasn't angry at him, he's not angry at us. God's not, not withholding his anger just because of Jesus. God chose from the beginning of time to put Jesus in that place because he cared for us. We sing about him leaving the 99 for the one. It's not just a clever saying. He left legions of angels that could do nothing but worship him to come down for us that denied him and walked away from him. If that doesn't say anything about the power of love and what that does in someone's heart, I don't know what does. We talked about two, I think it was two weeks ago, in youth, uh, what happened to Barabbas. Can I say his name? One of the kids asked, what do you think happened to Barabbas? Do you think his life changed after that? The Bible doesn't tell us. There's no real record of what happened to Barabbas afterwards. We don't know if he changed or not, right? But I think I think we need to look at exactly who Barabbas is, and then we'll kind of, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here. So we're going to look at Barabbas is first. So we know that the name means the son of the father, or Baraba, literally, um, It says, uh, basically, he was also considered a bandit. Uh, the word Josephus always employs when talking about revolutionaries, which we talked about last week that Lydia brought up. Uh, Barabbas was a leader in numerous insurrections against the Roman power who also committed murder, which completely deserved capital punishment. I found this. This is, I had never seen this before. Uh, it says, some ancient manuscripts of Matthew 27 give the full name of Barabbas as Jesus Barabbas. And this was probably... Uh, the name is originally written in the text. Uh, the early church uh, saw, or the early church, I can't even speak. The early church father, Oregon himself, admits that he was troubled by the fact that his copies of the gospel gave Barabbas' name as Jesus Barabbas. And he declared that it was impossible this bandit could have such a holy name uh, so that Jesus must have been rem- must have been added to Barabbas' name by a heretic. But the reverse is also possible, and this is what I think. Uh, 
that later scribes, when copying the passage, removed the name Jesus from Jesus Barabbas to avoid dishonoring the name of Jesus the Messiah. Nevertheless, some modern scholars argue that the counterintuitive similarity of the two men's names is evidence of, his, of, it, of its historicity. They doubt a Christian writer would invent a similar name for a criminal, practically equating Jesus with a criminal. So there's two different thought processes. Some people say, well, maybe they added that, and then some people say maybe they took it away. Um, I think it makes more sense that they would take it away because it, it would, they wouldn't want to associate Jesus' name with a criminal like that. So if I was to lean one way, I would say this is not thus saith the Lord, but thus saith Justin. I would say it was probably the, the latter of the two that they would take it away, which makes a whole lot more sense if you look at the comparison between, between the two when they're up on trial. That that's the, the, greatest, the, the greatest gift and the greatest transaction that's ever happened is that Christ became low so that we could become high. It doesn't make any sense. It's completely illogical. We talk about love all the time. Love is not logical, right? We do, especially when we're young, we do stupid things for love. When we care deeply for someone, it's, it's very sacrificial. I've had conversations with friends that always claim to, uh, claim to never, like, be swayed by love. I've also had several conversations with youth as they grow up and pretend like love is not influencing their decisions. <clears throat> and I always love talking to them about that. And I always stop them after they give their speech about, no, you know, I'm making these decisions because it's the most logical thing. And this, you know, this boyfriend or this girlfriend or this wife or this husband doesn't change the, the decisions that I make. And I always let them give their spiel. And I go, okay, well, that's nice. And I'm glad you think that, but that's not true. I mean, it, it isn't. It simply isn't. Because if you genuinely care for someone, your decisions will naturally be based on you caring for them. And they're not always logical, right? Sometimes they're very illogical. <laughs> Amen? I mean, have you not experienced this? I have. There, there are times when I go, you know what? <laughs> this, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I need to be careful. There are times in relationships in general, not me specifically. <laughs> we'll make this a little nice. There are times when you think, you know what, this is the best plan of action, and this is the most efficient way to do this, but then there's another person thrown into the mix, and you have to consider that other person, right? That's a healthy relationship. This may take two days instead of two hours, but what's most important? I mean, seriously, same thing with kids. This is very difficult for me, and I will, I'll point myself out of this. If I'm working on something or doing something, and I want to get it done, but then I have one of my kids wants to, wants to be there and see what it is, I, I have to force myself to slow down and take the time to show them and not just rush through it and do it myself. That's difficult sometimes. I think in the same way we see, we see a transaction here that Jesus is saying, I'm not, I'm not just telling you from afar how I feel about you. I'm going to demonstrate for you how I feel about you. I'm going to show you. I'm, I'm not, you know, we, we look at, you know, we talk about rules on rocks when God sent laws. Those are things that are, it's almost like a text. God didn't send you a text message to say, hey, I love you. God came down and he talks to you face to face and says, this is, this is who I am and this is who you are. When, when we look at Barabbas and Jesus, we look at us and Jesus, essentially. And most of you guys know this, but I mean, we're looking at, by all rights, we deserved punishment. We deserved death. We walked away. We decided that's what we wanted to do. We chose another way, but yet we're set free. So what happens to us? Where do we go? I'm not there yet. Let's look at what happened to Barabbas. Every Jew once a year 
would celebrate the Day of Atonement. If you're not familiar with the Day of Atonement, there was a sacrifice and a scapegoat. One goat gave its life, one goat got to run off in the woods and be free. Every year, there was a sacrifice and a goat got to go free. Sacrifice, got to go, got to go free. And that would cover the sins for just a year. And after that year, you had to do it again. All right? This was the shadow. <laughs> this comes from Leviticus 16, 17. It says, and he is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls on the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot, by lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive. Jeez. So it shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. The best the old covenant had to offer was a year. That was the best it could do was one year of atonement. That was the shadow. Here's the substance. One must die and one must go free. Son of man, Yeshua Barabbas, the other man, Yeshua, son of man, son of the father, son of man. Hebrews 10.10 says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But... (laughs) But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, he says, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. One sacrifice, once and for all, not over and over and over again, just once. This is why we don't practice at our church this constant um, repeating or uh, confessing of our sins. You confess your sin being in a sin state once and for all. We practice confessing sins one to another because it's healthy. You don't have to come get re-saved and rededicated every Sunday. There's already been a sacrifice made. You're, our, only, our only job right now is to believe on the one that sacrificed himself for us. If it was up to us to continually do it over and over again, who would be at the center of that? Me. You. If we, let, me, let me settle this for you if you've ever struggled with this whole confessions of sin thing. Can you remember every sin you ever committed? Every one. Can you remember every one of them? There's no way. How could you confess everyone? It's absolutely impossible. You could never confess every sin. That's why Jesus is the sin offering. He is the sacrifice that made. So he is the sacrifice that's made. So when we receive that, that sacrifice is now in our hearts. That new life is now in us. We're the scapegoat. We're the ones that get to run free. We 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 can't we can't cheapen this by trying to take it back on ourselves. We need to honor the sacrifice that was made and live this free life that He's given us. That's real. That, you want to know what honors God? Living this free life that he died for. I used to always see the, there's like bumper stickers and things that says, live, live a life worthy, uh, what did it say? Of, live a life, I can't even remember what it said. 
worth Christ dying for or something, something to that effect. But the, under, the undertone was, you better do well because Christ did this for you. You need to, you need to return that favor. That's not, that's not the gospel. <laughs> you can't return that favor. Like, you have to understand, that's not our job to try to, to, try to return that favor. It's to, to live, yes. That's it. But it, the bumper sticker is a little bit different, but it's similar. Yeah, but yeah, that is Leonard Ravenhill, isn't it? So that may be it. That may be the exact one. I just saw it on like, a, literally saw it on an air freshener in a car. I was like, <laughs> I seriously, I saw it on an air freshener in a car in a parking lot one time, and I was like, that's weird, but okay. But the idea is that, <clears throat> that we have to pay God back for this stuff. Does it say anywhere where Barabbas paid Jesus back for any of this? Does it say anywhere where the scapegoat comes back and, and does something? It doesn't. Does it mean that they don't live in a certain way? We don't know. That's not, that's not our position to try to make that stuff happen. What we do know is that love changes people. We do know that Christ's new life changes people from the inside out. We also know that outward constraint doesn't change people. <laughs> we know that laws get broken constantly. We know... For, I know for a fact, all the, I, was looking at, I was looking at one of my little certificate things this morning. It's been 10 years since I was first ordained and probably 15 years since I've been in any kind of ministry from youth ministry to anything else that we've done. And I think back of all those times of people that I saw that were so, what we would call back in the day, on fire for God, that have just fallen off. Because a lot of the on fire was them trying to work, keep this stuff going. And at any moment, if they lost that, that whatever it was, momentum or drive or whatever it is in themselves, then they, their, their faith would be broken. Or if a church or a person or their own faults, they would be broken and they'd, they'd fall away. And I've, I've seen them over the years, time after time, do that. Some of the most passionate people I've seen about the Lord just fall off because their emphasis, and it wasn't intentional at all, but their emphasis, instead of being placed on Christ, was placed on themselves. And if you place that emphasis out, out of where it should be placed on ourselves, it's going to fall apart. We have to make sure that Christ is at the, the center of everything. And when we see that he has done it, we can live this free life that he's died for us to live. It's, a, it's, it's not just a more peaceful place to live. It's a more powerful place to live. Listen, in my own power, I can't, I can't care for people and love people. I can't. I don't have the ability to do it for Tracy. I don't have the ability to do it for my kids. I don't have the ability to do it for you guys or any other person I run into. I don't. On my own, I don't have that ability. I'm going to fall. I may be able to do it for a season, but it's going to break. It, it reminds me of the, uh, when I first got saved, there was this computer program a buddy of mine told me about. He was like, hey, there's this thing. It's like an accountability thing. And if you go on some questionable websites, it'll email your buddy, and he'll, like, check on you, like an accountability partner. And I was like, that seems like a pretty good idea. But immediately my thought was I could get around that if I wanted to. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being honest. If, if that was in my heart to do that thing, and I knew that if I got on this website with this program on my computer, it was going to send it to a friend of mine that was going to contact me, I had, in the conversation when I was talking to him, I had already thought in the back of my head, there's a problem with this system. And there is a problem with the system. Law kills. It, it does. At the end of law, it's gonna, all it can bring is death. Scripture's clear about it. Grace brings new life. You know, you know what the difference in that is? Now I look at this computer program as I don't, I don't need that. 
I go deeper and go, why am I even wanting to look at whatever it is that I'm wanting to look at? That's life-changing. Why? What is in me that thinks I need that? Not what's in me that needs to get away with it. See the difference? What's in my heart? Let's, let's work with that. That changes people. You want to constrain people and put boundaries around them? Well, what happened to Barabbas? I don't know. I don't know what happened to Barabbas. Did, did Jesus love him any less? Did he not sacrifice himself for Barabbas just like anybody else? No. The way we live should be reflected of the way that Christ lived. So how do we overcome this beast? The same way Daniel, Daniel 7.13, it says, uh, In my vision I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man. Coming in the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion and everlasting dominion will never pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus, who comes as the Son of Man to set us, Barabbas, set us free, sons of the Father, he sets us free once and for all. His power is demonstrated as a sacrificial love. His sword is his word, alive and well, doing its work in and through us, written directly in our hearts and minds. The same Holy Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now dwells in us. The Bible calls it jars of clay. We'd like to call it Dixie cups here. <laughs> Your body's a temple. I think it's interesting that people make arguments about, for some reason, they, they do it a lot about tattoos, that our body's a temple. The funny thing is the scripture that talks about a temple is how, how less meaning it has and how more meaning what it houses has, right? And I've, been, I've seen temples. They're decorated pretty nicely <laughs> as well. The temple, it's not about the temple. It's about what's inside of it. It's not about the Dixie cup or the clay jar. It's about what, what is inside the, the jar. If we, if we put the emphasis on what's on the outside or what's going on, everything changes. Put the emphasis on where it goes and it goes on Christ. Listen, I hope all of you at some point in your life has made this trade up. I mean, I look around the room and I think I, think I know most of you guys in here and I think most of you have already. Um, but I want to encourage you, we're... we're we're going to take time at the end of each service for prayer. This is one of the things we want to focus on is salvation. It's something that I think is important, and uh, we talk about it occasionally, but I think we need to talk about it more. I think that there's a lot of assumptions made that, that everyone is, you know, has already accepted this free gift, but we just need to make sure. Or if you just need prayer for anything else, we're going to have Daniel Lauren up here in a minute just to pray for you guys, and I want to, I want to make sure that you see this time as valuable. It is valuable. This, these are times that... There's something about being a pastor and being a ministry when you try to create some of these environments and then they don't work out. We tried several years, we tried to do like a, uh, um, like a Sunday school thing and it just never worked and never gained any traction, different things like that. But then when we tried to do like a small group that was in somebody's heart to actually do that, it was really good and it flourished. The same way, you know, Daniel Lauren came to me several months ago and said, hey, we'd like to pray at the end of service. And I was like, that sounds like an awesome idea. It's something we used to do years ago and we just... For whatever reason, people, we, we stopped doing it. But the beauty about the Holy Spirit working in people is it begins to give birth to ministries like this. And I've already heard, and I'm, I don't want to embarrass you guys, but I've already heard from several people that, that have prayed with you guys that have been incredibly touched by the Lord because of it. This is, that's, this is normal Christianity. This is normal stuff. This is what we should be doing. We talk about confessing sins one to another like we were just talking about. This, it's healthy to do that. 
That's why the Bible instructs us to do it. We confess our sins one to another so that we can work through these things and talk about them. Not only that, we can realize that we're not the only ones that are struggling with it. We're not the only ones dealing with it. If any of you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. You think, I must be insane because I'm dealing with this issue. And you talk to three other parents, and they're like, me too, dealing with the same issue. The same way when we pray to one another, not only are we agreeing what the Father says about one another, we're also agreeing that we, we fall short in some areas, and we need to see that. We need to see that we're not the only ones. You're not on some island somewhere taking crazy pills. <laughs> okay, this is all me. It's not all you. We all struggle with this stuff. So I want to encourage you, if you, if you need prayer, uh, if you haven't settled you know, your eternal life, <laughs> this is a huge deal. And you don't, you don't have to wait to die to enjoy it. You can, like, enjoy it right now. It's, it's a beautiful thing. If you just need, to, just need somebody to pray for you and just give you a hug, man, I encourage you. When, when we wrap up today, we're going to have prayer time for that. Stand up with me. Um, this is, the good news is that we don't, it doesn't stop with us. We don't say, okay, we receive this new gift. We receive this new life. We're the, we get to go and be free. But now he gives us the, the, the message of reconciliation. We get to go and reconcile others to God. He says, we can go, and when we say that powerful word that your sins are forgiven, that their sins are forgiven the moment they believe it. Not because we carry some kind, of, some kind of power of our own. It's because the Holy Spirit carries that power when you say it. Father, we just thank you that you, not only do you love us, but you love those around us. And you have, you have made it your plan that you were going to co-labor with us. And we thank you that we can be a part of it. We can be a part of spreading the good news and seeing an unshakable kingdom on earth. Lord, our faith is in you and in you alone. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.